In John chapter 4, Jesus has used water as a picture. He was talking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and he was saying, listen, you need living water. And what he was talking about was God. He was saying, you need God to satisfy that thirst inside your soul. Here, later on in the same chapter, Jesus is going to talk about food to describe what doing God's work is for our souls. When our hungry souls need to be nourished and strengthened, we need to do the work of God. So, so here's in, in chapter 4, Jesus is telling us, listen, your souls need to worship. That's how you drink from the living God. You've got to worship. But I also want you to live for what God wants. That's what we need. We need worship and we need to follow Jesus where he goes. That's what we're going to see. That's the kind of men and women Jesus wants to make us into. People who sincerely worship in spirit and in truth, but who also do the work that God wants us to. So what we're going to see in this chapter is just two things, two sections of this sermon. That doing God's will, number one, is what feeds Jesus' soul. So doing the will of God is what feeds Jesus' soul. And then secondly, Jesus is going to promise you that same kind of soul-filling food if you'll join him in that work. So that's where we're going. Let's talk about Jesus' soul food. So Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman at a well. His disciples have gone into the city that's near the well. They're getting food to eat. And when they come back, they marvel. That's what verse 27 says, because he's talking with a woman. Now, John would have been, the person who wrote this book, would have been one of those disciples who was marveling that Jesus was talking with a woman. The disciples were not marveling because they thought that Jesus was compromising his purity in talking to this woman. I think John puts this in here to say, listen, we used to look down on women as though they were less worthy of Jesus' time than men. That's how we used to think about them. Like, men are more important. Those are the kind of people that Jesus should spend his time with. That's how we thought. John's willing to tell us that. But guess what? Jesus didn't think that way. Jesus knew both men and women are created in the image of God, both equal in their value in his eyes, but also both men and women are sinners and they need to be saved. And what's amazing about this chapter, if you've been following with us, is Jesus is out to save this woman. He is after her because he loves her. He wants her soul to be satisfied with living water. He's an amazing Savior. Now, when the disciples come back, she leaves her jar, and she goes and tells the people in the city, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Could this be the Christ? That's verse 29. And verse 30 says, they went out of the town and were coming to him. So this is the scene. Jesus is with his disciples at the well, and the Samaritans are starting to come. They're starting to come towards them, and that's where this conversation happens. 
So the Samaritans are coming, and Jesus' disciples, they say, eat, Jesus. And we went into the city to get you food. Here it is. Eat it. But Jesus refuses because he wants to teach them something about food. What does he say? Verse 32. Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. They don't know what he's talking about, which happens a lot. It happens a lot in this book. You just remember last chapter, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And what does Nicodemus said? Say, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? I'm an old man. He was talking to the woman at the well. He says, I can give you living water so that you never thirst again. And he's talking about satisfying her soul. And she thinks, that would be great. I won't have to carry this bucket back and forth from the city. Here are the same things happening. Jesus says, I have food that you don't know about, but they don't understand. You see that verse 33? They said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? We went to go buy you some shawarma and someone beat us with a sandwich. And Jesus says, no, no. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So in other words, Jesus is saying, my soul is nourished and strengthened by doing God's will. Jesus is saying, I get energy and satisfaction for my soul by doing God's work. Just think about what food does. Your body uses food for energy and fuel. So food's what gives your body strength. You're burning calories. That's the fuel that you need. But eating's also enjoyable. When you're hungry, you're not simply thinking, my body must have fuel if it's going to keep working. That's what robots do. But just think about it. When we go to the food court after the service, feel a little twinge of hunger, think of what it is you're wanting. Yeah, your body is wanting some energy, but you also want the pleasure of eating. You want the enjoyment that comes from eating food. It's desirable. Rice, fruit, curry, KFC, they're giving your body nourishment and pleasure. KFC is probably giving you more pleasure than nourishment. I see Dr. Chris <laughs> shaking his head. That's what food does. It does both of those things. Jesus is saying, doing God's work is food to my soul. It's what gives my soul energy and pleasure. It's an amazing thing to say. What is the work of God that Jesus is being fed by? in this passage. He's saving people. People are coming and they're believing him and he's saving them as they believe. Just skip down to verse 39 if you've got your Bible open. This is the outcome of Jesus' work, starting in verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we've heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Let's be clear about something. Jesus is the Christ, 
That means king. You see that in verse 29. He's called the Christ. And he's the savior of the world. That's what the Samaritans are confessing in verse 42. We have to ask, what kind of kingdom and salvation is he bringing? What kind of salvation is this king bringing? He's not bringing a physical kingdom and physical salvation in this life. He's not bringing a physical kingdom and physical salvation in this life. He's bringing spiritual salvation and a spiritual kingdom in this life. Jesus, in this life, that's an important parenthesis, has not come to make you healthy or wealthy or successful. Are we clear about that? It's not guaranteed. He may heal you. I hope, I hope you don't hear me saying he's not able to heal you. He is able, and he does sometimes. He may give you a better job. He really does care for your provision, just like he cares for your health. But he may not. And just statistically, in a room this size, some of us will die of cancer. Some of us will go years without having a job. And Jesus is not failing us. The kingdom that Jesus is bringing, the salvation that he's bringing, is spiritual. He came in this age to die to forgive men and women of their sins. That's the work he's out to do right now so that we can be restored to God in worship and so that we can live for him. So now he wants people to trust in him. That's how you get forgiven. That's how you get reconciled spiritually to God and can worship him in your spirit and live for him. Even while you have cancer or are poor or are jobless, in the next life, he will bring a physical kingdom and physical salvation to those he has saved spiritually in this one. That's the guarantee. So right now, just so we're clear, Jesus' work is to forgive people of their sins and bring them into spirit-filled worship and obedience. That's the work he's talking about here. When he says, God has work and I'm accomplishing it, that's what it is. That salvation, that forgiveness, that worship and obedience comes through faith. It comes as we trust him. And you can see that in the passage. The Samaritans are believing. Verse 39, verse 41, verse 42. So in summary, if you're wondering, okay, what is Jesus doing in this age? His main aim is to make men and women trust him for the first time so that they're saved, they're forgiven, they're reconciled to God, and, and to continue to build our trust more and more and more. And that's his food. Accomplishing that is his food. 
That's what satisfies Jesus' soul. That's what energizes him, doing that. It's what he enjoys. Jesus is hungry for people to trust him. He's hungry for people to be saved. So while the disciples have been off in the city getting food for their bellies, Jesus tells them, I've been eating. This woman who was far from God, who was not trusting him or obeying him, this woman who's been through a life of tragedy and vanity, who is loaded down with a burden of sins, is going to be saved. That's my food. And I'm feasting now. That's what I want you to see. Jesus is not indifferent. He's not emotionally unmoved by people coming to trust him. This really does make a big difference in the kind of Savior you have. He's not uninterested as a Savior. He thinks, you know, I'm here because the Father wants me to be here right now. I really don't care whether this woman comes to trust me or not. She does, she does, she doesn't, she doesn't. I'm unmoved. I don't care. I'm just doing this because God told me to. That's not our Savior. Doing God's work, seeing people trust in Him, and saving them is what He loves. You have a Savior who's happy to save. He's hungry for it. It feeds Him. It gives Him joy. And He wants your soul to be fed by the same food. So we're going to see in the next section is he's inviting us into this work. He's going to invite his disciples, and that's going to include you and me now, to feed our own souls and grow in our own joy by doing the Father's work as well. So look at verse 35. Do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? So probably what's happening is that they are four months away from a grain harvest where they are. But Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. So when grain is ripe, when it's ready to be harvested and eaten, the fields of grain turn white. So you see a white field of grain, you know it's ready to be harvested. Now, there are some people who suggest that the Samaritans who are coming towards Jesus, and we know that they're coming, verse 30 tells us they're coming, Some people say, well, the Samaritans are wearing white robes, kind of like Emirati men are wearing kandoras. And as they're coming in their white robes, Jesus is saying, look up, the fields are white for harvest, which may be true. We just don't know what color clothes the Samaritans were wearing. But either way, no matter what their color of their clothes are, Jesus is saying, look up. You see these people? This is the harvest, and it's ready. It's ready. These People are ready to be reaped. They're ready to believe and to be saved. What's the connection between verse 34 and verse 35? In verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And then in verse 35, he tells his disciples to look up because the fields are white for harvest. So here's here's one connection. The work that God has for Jesus to accomplish, it's work you and I are involved in, 
is seeing people come to trust him and be saved. That's the work God has for Jesus and for you and me. And it's like the work you do in a field, planting and harvesting. That's what that work is like. And Jesus is saying that work is ready to be done right now. That's part of the metaphor. So that's one connection. Here's another. When you harvest grain, you are harvesting food. Today, when you or I do our work, we work for our boss, and at the end of the week, the end of the month, what does he give you? Little pieces of paper. You can't eat those pieces of paper. You take that money and you trade it for food. But in this society, if you owned a little farm, you owned a little vineyard, when you're working it, what you take home at the end of the day is a bundle of food, either grain or grapes or olives. And even if you're working in someone else's field, which, is, which works with the metaphor here, this is God's field, even if you're working someone else's field, you could eat while you went along. That's what people did. You could eat while you were harvesting. So that's the connection between verse 34 and 35. Jesus is saying, my food for my soul is to do God's work. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, look around. There's food for your soul too. God's field is ready to be reaped. He's motivating his disciples. He's motivating. He's trying to move them internally to want the same things that he desires. He's not disinterested in other people's salvation. He loves it. It feeds his soul. It gives him joy. And he wants his disciples to be motivated, compelled to reap food for their own souls as well. That's what he's doing. Here is an amazing design of God. This is amazing. When we work to help people trust God more, our own souls get fed. When you work to help someone else know God more, you're trying to feed their souls, your own soul gets fed as well. And God wants you to know that. He wants you to know beforehand that that's the way it works. When you seek other people's salvation, when you seek their growth in faith, when you seek their joy in God, you receive joy in God. Your soul's food is to do the work of God too. So feed your soul by doing God's work. Verse 36 confirms that this is what Jesus is doing, that he's motivating us by promising it will grow our joy. Look at verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, right now is harvest time. Right now you can receive reward for your work. Right now you are gathering fruit that will last forever and the result of your work will be joy. See that? So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Jesus is telling us, when you seek to do God's work, saving souls, building up people's faith, you're actually growing your joy, feeding your soul as you help people embrace him. The Apostle Paul understood this. So listen to this. This is from 1 Thessalonians 2. So he's writing to the church in Thessalonica. 
This is 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 through 20. Listen to what he says to the church. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? And you might fill in the blank. Well, Paul's going to say, Jesus, you're our hope and joy and crown of boasting when you return. But that's not what he says. He says, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul knows, he knows that Jesus is the source of all the joy he has. He knows that Jesus is his only claim to heaven. And yet, in another sense, he's willing to say that when Jesus returns, his glory and his joy will be increased because of the work God has done through him in the lives of other people, in the lives of the Thessalonians. And the same will be true of you and me on the last day. I do want to add something so there's not any confusion about what I'm saying. If you've never come to God personally, personally, and confessed to him, God, I'm not a good person. I'm a sinner. And there's nothing I can do to save myself. Will you save me through Jesus? If you've never done that, and if you've never said, in fact, I can't be good. I mean, I need you to change me by the Spirit. Will you change me? If you haven't done that, I want you to be careful because you might hear this passage and think, yeah, my soul's hungry. So now I'm going to start obeying God and I'll fill up that void in my soul. But if you haven't submitted as a sinner to Jesus and received what he did on the cross, being punished for your sins, raised to life as your righteousness, if you haven't received that, you need to. And you need to receive the Spirit. It happens when you trust Him so that you can be changed, transformed. Otherwise, your obedience is just trying to earn you something from God, and it's dead obedience. It won't be pleasing to Him until the Spirit of God makes you alive. But if you have died with Jesus by faith, if you've been forgiven, if God has declared over your life because of the righteousness of Jesus, this ungodly person, righteous. If you've received the Spirit of God, Jesus wants you to feed your soul, to grow your joy by doing the Father's work and leading people to Christ. Notice in verse 36, Jesus says, Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. So Jesus is saying, now is a time where people are sowing and reaping is happening at the same time in the same field. Which is a strange thing. I mean, people who are working their farms, no, you don't sow the field and reap from it at the same time. But Jesus is referencing the Old Testament. That when the Messiah came, Amos 9.13, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. It's 
That was promised in the Old Testament. There's going to be a time with so much abundance, people are going to start on one end of a field sowing it, and the people who are reaping the harvest are going to overtake them. And Jesus is saying, that time is now. I am the promised king, and now is the time for harvest. Sowing still goes on. You and I are both are still planting seeds. We're sharing the gospel with people, trying to teach, love them, and sometimes it takes a really long time to grow. We're still sowing. But now that Jesus has come, this is the time where men and women all over the world can be saved. It's not always been that way. Did you notice that in this book, it's non-Jews who declare that Jesus is the Savior of the world in verse 42. Samaritans, they're not part of the people of God, and they're calling him the Savior of the world. It has not always been like this. There was a time when almost all the work that God's people did was sowing. They were just preparing. In the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied, but there was very little faith. There was some. Very little faith, very little salvation, mostly sowing. The prophets were looking forward to a time when there would be a sacrifice that really paid for sins. They looked forward to a time when the Spirit of God would actually change our hearts so that we love Him. They looked forward to a time when their King would be the Savior of the world, but they were just looking ahead and sowing, preparing the way. But now Jesus has come. He has paid for sins. He has sent the Holy Spirit, and He has promised eternal life. Everything that needs to be done for the harvest has been done. So now it's harvest time. We can tell people all over the world that they can be reconciled to God through the death of Jesus, and the Spirit of God will make some of them from every tribe, tongue, and people come alive now all over the world. That's the work God has for us. And there will be a reaping. And Jesus wants you to see that if you live for that, your soul will be fed. You want a full soul? Give your life to the Great Commission. Give your time, your money, your energy, your health to seeing other people trust Jesus for the first time. And more and more, from all the peoples of the globe. Now, we should notice that even though it's harvest time and God will have people from every tribe, tongue, and language, sowing is still happening. It's still happening. And some of you are ministering to certain peoples and seeing very little fruit. But a harvest will happen someday. It will Maybe through you, maybe not. But as verse 36 tells us, you will still share the joy of the harvest if you've sown, even if you have to wait until the end of your life to see it. It will reap joy. 
Now, Jesus just adds one more note for our humility here. Verse 37 and 38. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you've entered into their labor. He's mostly talking about the Old Testament prophets, people like John the Baptist, perhaps even the Samaritan woman who's gone into the town ahead of them. But whenever we do see someone come to faith, trusting in Jesus, being saved, it never happens through us alone. Never. We are always building on a foundation that others have laid. We're always standing on the shoulders of people who came before us. And we're always reaping the reward that others have sown. And Jesus wants us to know that he's the Savior not us. He's the Savior of the world. His soul was fed by saving people. And he doesn't want you to be disinterested in the salvation of other people. He wants, to, wants you to see that the expansion of your joy is connected with it. So see it. Seek to be fed in the same way he was. Your own soul will grow and be rewarded and filled with joy as you help others trust him from every tribe, tongue, and language. Let's pray. Father, we live in an amazing time, the time of harvest. None of us decided to be born now, You set the boundaries of people's time and their dwelling. You do that. And oh, God, thank you that we live in the age of harvest. All of us here are from peoples who are far from you. And all of us here are sinners. But your food, Jesus is to satisfy thirsty souls with living water. And you've done that for us. I pray that in this room and in this city, your people, the people of your churches, would be hungry to see the nations come and worshiping you. That we would give our lives to see people trusting you for the first time and for their faith being built up over time and that we would believe the promise that our souls will be fed. Help us. Thank you for coming, Jesus, doing what we could not do, dying for us and rising again. We bless you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.